Psalm 119 is where we're at, and it's almost right smack dab in the middle of the Bible. Uh, This last week, we just wrapped up something that we called the Summer Theologians Series, and uh, we had basically six weeks of coming together here at the church, and we had three different tracks that we were on, Um, and while that was going on, uh, we had uh, a little children's program that was put together by one of our high school students, and she, um, she just did an amazing job coming through for us, doing some awesome things. It was a small, relatively small little group of kids, and yet uh, one of the things that she had in mind to do that God just put on her heart was to say, man, can we do some kind of a fundraiser for Grace Baby's Home? Grace Baby's Home is located in Rosarito, Mexico. Um, some of our team is driving right now for our second week of Mexico trips. They're on the road right now. Um, Rob and Chi and some others are going to leave right after service to be down there as well. Um, but this high schooler thought, man, it'd be really cool to uh, raise some money and have our kids do it. So what she did was uh, the theme of the, of the six weeks was love God by sharing Jesus with others. Just a great, great simple theme. Um, they set a goal of $15 towards... Uh, towards Grace Children's Home. And so she just put this little number out there and kind of challenged the kids with it. Well, she said that they blew by $15 very quickly, and at the end of the week raised $53.15. So it's just an awesome little thing, little testimony, just to let you know. High school girl gets a heart to do some children's ministry, and here's an extra $53.15 and a cool little Ziploc bag that's on its way to Grace Baby's Home, um, and we're just excited about that. Uh, so, yeah. Um, all right, uh, we've been in a series that we were calling Smitten right now, and the idea of being in love with God, and what, what our lover is like, what our God is like. And um, as we begin this morning, I want to do something uh, just to kind of let you peek into our home for a brief moment. Uh, every marriage has its quirks and differences and all of that, and uh, every spouse could rightfully look at the other one and just say, Love you, but you're weird, okay? I mean, everyone's got their own little quirks and weirdness and whatever, and um, I'm going to share one of my wife's uh, this morning, right here in public, uh, because I think this is wise. Um, and, uh, and so here's, here's, here's one of our quirks, okay? Um, we could be sitting there talking about, about whatever. We could just be sitting there talking about the weather. We could be hanging out. We could be discussing dinner plans, whatever. And out of the clear blue sky, my beautiful bride will suddenly just go like this. She'll be, we'll be talking away on some subject, and she'll go, ah, I wonder when. Now, at this point, um, here's what I typically do, or here's what I used to do. I used to kind of look around like, uh, has someone joined the conversation and asked something where, where she's now responding to it or, or interacting with someone? And uh, much to my dismay, there's no one there. It's just me and her still. So then I look across at my, my wife's face, and um, I think to myself, uh, are, there, are there others in there that she's talking with, and, and I'm just getting a little peek into that. Like, what is happening right now? And so I typically will respond, um, when, and, you know, I don't say it, but it's the dot, dot, dot. It's like, when what? You know, and then a question mark uh, at, the, at the end of that. Um, and, and I'll say, you know, what, what exactly are you talking about? And she'll go, well, of course, um, I wonder when we get to meet the babies. And so this is, I'm just giving you a current snapshot of, of what it is. 
She's wondering in her mind when we get to meet our new adopted babies. Now, long before we knew who our adopted babies were, she would, she would make a statement like this, and it would be out of left field, and I would uh, begin to start to reason with my wife, and this is what you do in marriage. You start to learn your spouse, right? And you get to learn who this person is. So I began to do this. I began to realize my safest bet on any given day, in any given conversation, when she starts talking randomly, is plug in the word babies and just see, like, see if this makes sense if you plug in babies for X. And then you just start doing it, and you're like, okay, I think we're on track. And that's my go-to thing with my wife. Now, it's different for, for different people, obviously. Your, your spouse, it may not be babies. But this is what, what happens with my wife. Um, now, I mean, here's a fun alternative to do it, is, is when she says this, and she just veers off the conversation to do something, is to grab a really, really random subject, go with what she's saying as if you know exactly what she's talking about. So in this example, it would look like this. We're talking about something over here. She says, I wonder when, and I go, oh, I know, I do too. I wonder when. When are they going to breed, you know, ferrets and bullfrogs? I mean, wouldn't that be so cool? And then it would just take the conversation in a whole fun new direction. I haven't tried that yet, but I think it's a fun alternative. What this is, what this is I'm describing for you, is something that every married person understands. It's called a marital communication breakdown. Okay? MCB is what, is what the clinical term is. And, uh, and this does not just happen in marriage, of course. It happens with friends. It happens with whatever else. But communication breakdowns can be downright funny and, you know, and just awkward or kind of benign in terms of your day. Or they can be, um, you know, they can be super deadly. Someone can be shouting out the window to you, your car's on fire. And you're driving along going, Carl, Carl's not a liar. You know, and you're like, I mean, Carl's shady sometimes, but he's not a liar. And meanwhile, you're smelling smoke. And you don't take any action because you're thinking about Carl. Um, when it comes to communication, think about this. Think about every relationship that you have. Someone said once, in fact, this is in a, in a marital book that I take couples through sometimes. It says that communication is the key to relationships. Now, that's a great book title and it sells books. Um, but is it true? I think it is. Uh, they, they went on to say this, that like blood to a body is communication to a relationship that just like your blood nourishes and cherishes the whole body, so communication does with how you relate to people. And if you never talk to people, if you never interact with people, you really cease to have a relationship with them. In the beginning, there was darkness and void. And what did God do? God spoke, right? God spoke into the darkness. God spoke into the void. And God created. And we have this morning to look at a lover who speaks. And because God spoke, relationship became possible for us and Him. God doesn't just tell us who He is, although He does. God doesn't just tell us who we are, although He does. He also tells us who we are in relationship to Him. One of the powerful things about the Scriptures is this. As you read it, you don't just read facts and figures, but you read of a lover who is wooing the beloved. That's the kind of language that's inserted into the Scriptures. That's the way that God chooses to reveal Himself to us. Not just facts and figures. And right in the middle of the Bible is this poem. It's another alphabetic acrostic, meaning they're taking the Hebrew uh, alphabet, and each of these stanzas just kind of does that. So it's a, it's a poetic form that, that the psalmist is using. 
And what this poem is doing is it's celebrating. It's like standing up and applauding God's communication with us. This person writing the psalm, the person writing this poem, is so taken with the fact that God would communicate with us that he decides to write what ends up being 176 verses worth, longest chapter in the whole Bible, to us about it. Let me give you a couple of definitions. I've put these in your... Um, I'm already behind on my PowerPoint. Look at this. Uh, I've, I've already put these in your uh, uh, bulletin, so you don't need to write down uh, anything, but you can just kind of look at them with me. The word law is going to be seen this morning. The word testimony, precepts, word, commandments, statutes, promise. Your translations may vary those even more. There's some other synonyms that mean the same thing. But all of that taken together has to do with this. It has to do with communication. It has to do with the idea that God speaks. So as we read through, we're not going to read all 176 verses this morning, but as we read through, you're going to see these things and let your mind rest on the fact that this is God speaking. You open to Psalm 119 right now? You should be. All right. Look at verse 11. We're just going to go through a lot of the verses in some different orders. I want you to see some things this morning. Look at verse 11. I have stored up your words in my heart that I might not sin against you. Look at verse 14. In the, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Verse 16. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Verse 24. Your testimonies are my, here's that word again, delight. They are my counselors. Skip down to verse 31. I cling to your testimonies. O Lord, let me not be put to shame. Look at verse 47. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Verse 48. I will lift my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your, on your statutes. Look at verse 119, Psalm 119, 119. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross, therefore I love your testimonies. Verse 143, trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Two more, 159, consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. And verse 167, my soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. Look up here for a minute. I want to pose a question to you. What is it that prompts that kind of language toward the written word? What is it that, that, that pours forth speech that says, I love them exceedingly. They're my delight over and over and over again. I hide them in my heart. Let me tell you about the Bible for just a second. We just got done uh, with the Summer Theologian series, like I told you. My track was called Eat to Live. And basically, it was on how to enjoy your Bible more. I think most Christians uh, come to realize that this is God's Word, and they say, man, I know I should be reading it more, but either struggle with a few basic tools on how to how to really understand what they're reading, or they struggle with motivation. They just struggle with seeing the necessity for it. Uh, and, and so that's what we talked about really for about six weeks, and we had an incredible time together. But I want to just tell you a couple of things about the Bible that you may or may not know. 
One of them is this, that the Bible is, hands down, the best-selling book in all of history, year after year. It's also the most translated book in all of history, into the most amount of languages in the most parts of the world. It's also, and I don't have stats for this, but I would venture to guess that um, it is the most persecuted book in all of history. If you go and just do some research and begin to read about people who have tried to snuff out the Bible, it's astounding. It's the most unique book you'll ever pick up. It's really a library of 66 books, but it has one central theme of Jesus Christ and his redeeming work in history. It's it's a unique book this way, too. You read it, but the Bible also reads you. Some of you have had this experience on many, many occasions. You're reading the scriptures, and it is reading your life as you're reading it. Isn't that weird? You also realize this about the Bible. It has application for your life, but you must also apply your life to the Bible to even mind those applications. So it's it's unlike any other kind of book that, that you will ever experience. Abraham Lincoln said this, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to man. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated to us through this book. The sheer popularity, range, and scale of this book warrant your investigation at least. I would say it warrants your life's devotion, but it at least warrants your investigation to find out what's the big deal about the Bible. People are so passionate about the Bible, I believe, because of the God that the Bible talks about. And that's why it's unlike any other kind of book. Psalm 119 um, isn't really making much about a book. It's really making much about an author. It's really making much about the the God behind the book. Let Let me read some more verses for you. And I'm just pulling these out of Psalm 119. And now what I want you to look for is this. The first several that I read for you all talk about about highlighting this book and showing the passion for it and why it's so dear to them. Um, I read through scores of illustrations this week. I'm not even going to take the time to give them to you. But scores of illustrations, how people would start off on a journey. One guy launched into Africa with 380 books, slowly worked his way down to one book. Guess which one he kept? The Bible. The Pony Express where where weight is precious, always kept a Bible with them as they rode across the U.S. Over and over throughout history, not just American history, but over and over throughout history, you see the preciousness of this book. Now I want to show you from Psalm 119, it's not so much making much about a book as it is the author. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 says this, Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart. There's the relationship aspect. Verse 10, With my whole heart I will seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. There's relationship and the good book tied right together in the same verse. Look at verse 15. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Looking to the Father. Looking to the One who they want to mimic. Verse 57, The Lord is my portion I promise to keep your words. If you've been around a Bible teaching church for any length of time, you'll see that there is a massive link between being in relationship with God and talking about, exhorting from, reading, 
celebrating, memorizing the Bible. They're intricately linked. And it's the way that God set it up. Part of our name is Neighborhood Bible Church. I tell you this all the time, but if you ever get to a place where we're not opening up our Bibles on a Sunday as a key part of why we're gathered, you ought to call someone out on that and say, what's going on? Aren't we a Bible church? Why is Bible elevated to be in our name? Why is it so important for a young man, a young woman, a a woman, a man, to be a person of the book? It's because this relationship is linked to the Bible. So another question I want to put forth to you is this. On the front of your bulletin this morning, it says that God speaks. Our lover, we're smitten by a lover who speaks. So the big question facing anyone seeking God, anyone looking for truth, anyone wondering if that's even true, is this. How does God speak? Wouldn't you agree that there are some conflicting ideas out there as, as to how God speaks? And some of you right now might be looking at me saying, is this guy now going to tell me how God speaks authoritatively like he knows the answer? And if he's saying that, is he saying that all these other people are wrong with that? Let me throw some things out to you. Here's a few of the ideas that just kind of came across my mind. One is this. Some people think that God speaks and the way that he speaks is inside of you. There's a spark of God inside of us. And so to discover how God speaks and what he's saying, go deep inside yourself, meditate, um, and, and find it within you. Okay? That's a common idea. I see that pop up all over in pop culture and different things and people kind of preaching that message. Here's another one. Some people think that God speaks through creation. So that if you sit still in the forest long enough and just listen, that's really how God speaks. Now, what's interesting about that for a Christian is to look at that and say, there is some truth to that. God does speak in creation. But there are many, many cultures throughout history who have said that is the way God speaks. In fact, many have turned creation into the God themselves. Here's a third idea, that God speaks at a faraway holy place. And so to hear from God, you're required to go on a pilgrimage and go to that place, and that's where you hear from God. Okay, another another thought. Some people think you can't know this stuff. There is a God. He is speaking, but no one can know for sure if God's speaking or not, right? Again, hear that. Maybe you subscribe to that point of view. And a last view, again, there's more than what I'm sharing with you, but a last view would be this. There's nothing to be heard. There is no God. And so there's nothing to be heard, so stop listening. Just get on with your life, right? So I've just covered, I've just spanned a a lot of people. A lot of people's thoughts fall somewhere within there. I'm going to present to you a biblical, a Christian perspective on how does God speak. God speaks, by the way, let me throw in two more. Uh, Philosophy and and religion. This is just kind of a mishmash now. Philosophy and uh, religion offer up really what amounts to a bunch of guesswork. A bunch of speculation that says, this is how we think. And so they'll put an idea out there in, in, in front of people, and then another competing voice will say, no, this is what, what, what we think it is. And if you study the world religions, if you study philosophy, what you see a lot of is man and woman putting their ideas forth about what God is. Let me tell you uh, the Christian perspective. While I'm doing this, I want you to... Now, you don't even need to keep your finger in Psalm 119, because remember, you can just do the open in the middle of the Bible book and take a left or right. Uh, but I want you to go back to Hebrews for a minute. I want you to flip near the back of your New Testament 
to the book of Hebrews and go to Hebrews chapter 1. And while you're doing that, I'm going to tell you this. Without being told by God who He is, without being told by God what happened at creation, without being told by God who you are and what your destiny is, you would be speculating and, and offering up guesswork. God has revealed Himself to you. That's the big revelation is the big kind of churchy word for this. God has revealed Himself to you. We're using the term this morning that God speaks. God has spoken. So the question then becomes, well, if that's true, how has God revealed Himself? And instead of letting it sit maybe in a more academic point of view or a bit more cold, I would say this. How has the lover revealed himself to those that he is wooing and pursuing? How has he communicated with his beloved? Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. I'm going to read it out loud. It says this, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Let me stop for a second. God spoke. The Bible is asserting that God spoke to the prophets. Now, this isn't a sermon this morning on the validity of Scripture. I often challenge people in this room, go and investigate this for yourself. The reason I have sold my life and built my life on the book is because it's a book like no other. I shared with you a few bullet points, but the Bible itself is saying this, that God long ago spoke through the prophets. Moving on. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Talking about Jesus Christ. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Let me stop there. Hebrews 1, 1-3 says that God spoke in many times and in many ways. In the days of old, it came through prophets. And the way that the prophets worked was this. A prophet would come on the scene and they would make this declaration. They would gather a group of people like this and say, Thus saith the Lord. If someone in those days stood up and said, Thus saith the Lord, they didn't quite say it that way because that's the English-British way of saying it, but... That's the message they were communicating. People would gather. They would say, a prophet's risen among us. Let's hear what he has to say. You know how many times a prophet had to be wrong to get punished? How many times? One time. Why? Think about it. Why is it only one time? That's kind of merciless. Don't you think? It's not very gracious. I mean, you get three strikes in baseball. One time? Why, Why one time? Talk to me. It's not a rhetorical question. He lied. Phil. Absolutely. So what was the penalty? I'm asking Phil because I know he knows this. What was the penalty for a false prophet? Yeah, death. Death. Kids, look at me. What if you lied this week and you were a prophet of old? Do you know what happened? Scary thought. I know. Everyone like scooches into mom. They're like, he's scaring me right now. Here's the kicker. The false prophet, the one who stood up, listen to this, the one who stands up in front of a group of people, it could be one person, and says, thus saith the Lord. 
He says, I heard from God and I am communicating to you what God said. If they were right in 90% of it, but dead wrong in one part of it, the community would take them out and stone them according to what God had revealed to do. Why? Because he's lying. Why? Because it's devastating if people think that he's really heard from God. You know what a false prophet is doing? They're communicating demonic, satanic things that do the opposite of bringing life. They bring death to the community. In days of old, God spoke through the prophets. If you claim to be a prophet, you had better be... It's easy, right? If it's, if it's been revealed to me, I'm thinking of a number right now. We did this back in John about the whole concept of Revelation. You could guess all day long and not know that the number was 37.643293. But if I had told that to Nicholas over here, and I said the first person that gets this right gets a new car, you guys would be like, sweet! But you get one guess. Nicholas would get it every time. And it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be hard at all because he would just look at it. He would just be like, I can't remember that many numbers. I'll just read it off to you. And if I have revealed it to him, it's not guesswork, it's not speculation, it's not getting close, it's just, re- it's just repeating what's been told of you. Say to my people, oh, God's talking, I guess I better get this accurate and just, and just say it. The prophets of old is how God spoke. But then it says this, but in these last days, now he has spoken, spoken through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how we begin to see why the Scriptures are so incredibly valuable to us. The Scriptures are our link to the living Christ. So as you look at a person who lived, a a person who walked the earth a couple thousand years ago, you look to the Scriptures and and say, are they a reliable link to the living Christ? Again, I invite you, I challenge you, to go and do the research. It will build your faith. It will reveal to you truth. Let me tell you just in a broad sweep how the Scriptures are about Jesus. The Old Testament. Take the Old Testament, about two-thirds of your Bible. They all point forward to Jesus Christ. That's the Old Testament in summary. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record the life, the miraculous birth, the words, the deeds, His sacrificial atoning death on the cross and His miraculous rising from death and then His ascension back to the Father. That's the present, right? Acts through Jude, much of the New Testament, looks back to Jesus. They point back to Jesus Christ. Much of it explaining now what what went on through Revelation. And then Revelation, the book of Revelation, looks ahead one more time to the certain promised return of Jesus. By the way, Jesus is the only one to figure into all the world's major religions. So if you're on the fence of Jesus, I would say he's a great one to go and investigate. I would say he warrants your investigation. He warrants your inspection. What is it about this Jesus that's so common and so popular? Here's another question I throw out to you. Is it possible to have God's words and still miss His voice? Friends, husbands and wives, let me ask you this. Does high word count necessarily mean you are communicating with the person you're trying to talk to? I should see a lot of this. 
And that's not even any word count. It's just a nod. That's body language. That's a whole other thing of communication. High word count doesn't necessarily mean communication. Some of you were raised in homes. Some of you live in homes where it's... And then it fades into kind of a hum. The sound waves all kind of get together. And then just like you can block out your alarm clock, it just kind of comes and just... You can almost like just, just go off to sleep to it. Tons of words are going on. How much communication is happening? Zero. Much to the frustration of who? The one talking all these words. So there's a constant thing with people who are different and trying to relate to each other. To say, no, no, that's not what I meant at all. You were talking up here. I'm down here. What are you even talking about? So word count doesn't necessarily mean communication is happening. Now, here are a couple of things I want to point out to you. Um, most of you in this building own a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, you own a Bible possibly, quite possibly, without even knowing it. And that is, you own a smartphone or a computer, or you could make, you have a, a library card and could get to the Internet. You know what that means? It means you have a Bible, right? In fact, you actually have, on your shelf physically, or in the world virtually, access to probably 15 to 20 English-speaking Bibles, and if you're multilingual, you have more, right at your fingertips at all times. And yet, let me pose this question to you. Any of you write a love song to your Bible recently? Any of you value the Bible or think about the Bible or really chew on it as your delight the way that we've already read this morning in the last week? Quite possibly not, right? It's possible to have God's Word and miss His voice. I had God's Word in my possession. I had multiple copies of God's Word in my possession, and I missed His voice for a lot of years. And when I heard the voice of God, it was unmistakable, and I responded to it. Uh, sometimes people want to join the conversation, but they're misguided. This is what I would say uh, it happens sometimes. Once in a while, you have someone who starts to, to get involved in a church. They're around the church. They get involved in church things, and they're just seeking. It's kind of like going to a family party. You're not really part of the family, um, but, but you're there. When I was dating my wife, she had a big family. I had a big family. We would go to each other's family functions. We're not married yet. We're not legally family. But we're there, and we're kind of around the fringes, and we're kind of joining in and figuring out what the family's like, right? That's a beautiful part of church, by the way. If you're here this morning, we welcome that. We welcome that. But it's possible to be around that and not have a firm grip on God's Word. Sometimes what would happen is this. This was beautiful about junior high ministry. I'd be teaching along, and I love to ask questions. And I would just, I would just throw a question out. Hey, what do you guys think about this? And our group knew that I wasn't going to shred them from the front. They didn't have fear of being wrong. So they just, they began to let their guard down a little bit and say what they really thought. So I'd say, hey, what do you guys think about such and such? And they'd throw some idea out. Sometimes you'd be around a Bible study and some kid would throw out an idea and it was completely wrong. It was totally off base. Uh, we were sitting around the, the dinner table not that long ago and we were discussing Hawaii. This was about six months ago. I don't know why we're talking about Hawaii, but we're talking about Hawaii. And so we're sitting here talking, and, and we're just chit-chatting chit about that. And, the, and people were piping in. And the kids were thinking, man, that'd be fun to go to Hawaii someday and this and that. And there was kind of a lull in the conversation. And our five-year-old, I think she may have been four at the time, not sure. But she pipes in, and she asserts this with such matter-of-factness and such courage that, I mean, it was convincing. But we're sitting here talking, and she goes, Mexico's in Hawaii? <laughs> and the whole conversation went, woo like, what? And we all looked over at, at Cassie, and, and, and 
we just all started laughing, and she thought she had told a great joke. So she laughed along with us and thought it was fantastic. She wanted to join in the conversation. Do you see that? Now, pop quiz. Is Mexico in Hawaii? No. That's wrong, right? That's just, that's factually wrong. That's inaccurate. Now, in this particular instance, we didn't really, I think we may have corrected, but there wasn't a giant need to correct that and, and, and say that. But, but the reality was this. What, what you saw was this heart to want to join in the conversation. Here's what's fantastic. You can be dead wrong. You can have the words of God and be dead wrong. Part of a loving family, what they do is they will correct her. I won't let that mistake keep going on for her. I, prom- I, will, I will steer that one away. So she'll figure out Mexico here, Hawaii over here. Totally different, right? I haven't found any Hawaiian shave ice places in Mexico yet, and I've been looking. Um, so there's so many people that just, they don't hear God's voice. They don't have the words, but it's because they're, they're new or they're on the fringe or they're not really in the family yet, but, but they're trying and they're there. There's a great heart that, that, that people possess who are seeking and really seeking after God. And that is where someone can lovingly come along and say, hey, let me, let me just show you on a map. Let me just point it out to you really quickly. Mexico, Hawaii, giant ocean. Just big, big difference. It's a different thing. And there are so many people, it's been beautiful to, to sit down with them and say, you know what? God is not the redwoods. The redwood trees are amazing. And to stand at the base of a redwood tree and to gaze up at it, it ought to inspire awe. But God's not a tree. A tree is mute, and God speaks. Let me show you that. And you just sit down, and you point out the differences of Mexico and Hawaii to the person. And if the person's really seeking truth, you know what they do? They sit there, and they go, wow, thanks for telling me that. I mean, because it seems like it could be a God. I go, I know. I, I, I mean, I, I really get that. That's how, how a loving body ought to be. There's some people, though, that miss God's voice and do use their Bibles. The Bible is perfect and holy and complete shouldn't be added to or taken away from. And yet there are people who take their Bibles, and not just throughout history like it's a past problem, but in current history, they take their Bibles and they use it for evil. They preach evil messages, they give demonic advice, and they will point to a chapter and a verse in your same Bible and twist it and turn it and crank it into saying things that the Bible does not say. I spent two and a half hours driving home last night from uh, a place, uh, we were up, up in Sacramento looking at a car. We're outgrowing our odyssey. If you uh, would like to buy it, come talk to me. Um, we're driving home last night. We're listening to a book uh, by, by Johnny Erickson Tata. Some of you know the story of Johnny Erickson Tata. She, at 20 years old, had a diving accident, broke her neck. She's been a, a quadriplegic for decades now. She's outlived most every quadriplegic that's out there. She has an amazing testimony, an amazing ministry, an amazing faith in God. She has been told time and time and time again by people who come and want to pray for her. And they look at her and they say this, God wants you healed. God wants you up out of that chair. God wants you to have your, your limbs being used. And I think she has more grace than most of us because her answer has been to many people, I'll never shy away from healing prayer and I certainly would always invite people to pray for me, so please feel free to pray. And the, the, the message often given to her is this. The message often given to her is, is if you're not getting healed, it's your lack of faith. If you're not getting healed, it's because you have some sin in your life, some hidden sin in your life. And it's forced Johnny Erickson Tata 
to do some scripture reading. And you know what she's come up with? A whole bunch of verses that prove that totally wrong. Go read the, the Hebrews Hall of Faith sometime. People who God was caring for. People who God loved. People who God spoke to. People who God was leading. And they were sawn in two. They had ailments and illnesses all through their lives. Johnny Erickson Tata, now as a 60-year-old woman, is dealing with a new kind of suffering, chronic pain in places that she can't even move. She describes it this way, jaw-splitting pain. Imagine being a quadriplegic and being reintroduced to a whole new world of suffering after you've lived with it for your whole life. And I tell you what, to hear her talk about the faith she has in a loving God, to hear her talk about the, the way that her lover has cared for her and carried her and shown her things in her suffering that she never could have learned otherwise, to hear her talk about a life submitted to say, whatever will move the gospel forward, whatever will bring more people into your kingdom and more glory to you, I want to turn up the wattage on your spotlight, God, so whatever that is, if it's in a chair, I'll do it. You want to raise me up, I'd be much obliged. But you're God, and I'm not. So as you will. Those are evil kinds of thoughts. There are many people who preach a health, wealth, prosperity gospel, and it's not in the Scriptures. They are speaking for God that which God is not saying. That's called a false prophet. Touch your hand to the screen Come to this faith healing thing. Give money to here and this will happen. Except for the common grace of God that we talked about last week that He's holding back final judgment. These people wouldn't be breathing right now. They wouldn't be alive. So it's possible to have God's Word and use the Bible for evil. Finally, some hunt for the letter of the law but miss life itself. There are many theologians that have gone after God's Word and they're a whole lot smarter than most of us in this room, but they don't have a relationship with the Father. They've missed life. Let me have you flip over to, uh, to the book of John chapter 5 for a minute. In John chapter 5, Jesus was confronting uh, some of this. And there's these weird dangers in America. Uh, really, it's worldwide. But one danger is this, that people totally neglect the book. I did this for years. I called myself a Christian. I was a kid, and, and I knew I should read the Bible, but it just sat there gathering dust. And when I'd come to church, I'd blow it off like this. I felt guilty about not reading it, but at age 17, something happened in me. It wasn't duty anymore. It wasn't something I begrudgingly did. It was something that I sought after, and God actually put a hunger into my life for. John chapter 5, Jesus is talking to some and the setting is this, that the Jews are seeking to kill Jesus. We're only in chapter 5 of John. They're already seeking to kill him. Why? Because of a couple things. One is he healed on the Sabbath. A big no-no to the Jews. They had made law their God and they're missing life. See how easy that is? Religion was important. Tradition was important. What they had grown up being taught was important. And they're missing the life that's with them. So healing on the Sabbath got them really worked up. And then if that wasn't enough, this is what made them uh, just boil with rage. Jesus said, in effect, He was one with the Father. 
Jesus, apparently a mere man, is calling himself God. Now, according to Old Testament law, if a prophet was wrong once and he was stoned to death because he was lying because that's bad for the community, how does it fare for someone raising up and going, I'm God? Bad, right? So on one level, give the Jews credit to say they, they ought to be suspicious of that. Someone comes up and says that to you, you ought to be suspicious of it. But here was Jesus, accompanied with signs, accompanying with other testimonies that he talked about in this passage, and yet they were missing it because they had clung to the wrong things. Look at verse 37. Follow along with me as I read 37. Jesus talking, it says this, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one who he has sent. Verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Isn't that a weird verse? Doesn't it strike you as weird that a Bible church would be pointing out a verse in the Bible that says you search the scriptures but that's not where life is found? Doesn't that run contrary to some of the things that you've heard? It does to me. But Jesus is pointing something out. On the one hand, people can totally neglect God's word. Psalm 119 is filled with, Lord, our, uh, evil is running rampant because people have forgotten your word. They don't cling to your word. They don't know your word. But on the far other side is this. People that do have your word. People that study your word. People that dig in for the letter of the law. But they've missed you. They think that in here somewhere are the words of life and that it's not the life giver himself. It's the book over the author. It's the gift over the gift giver. And they miss it. And that's the problem with religion is it sets up something else other than the living God. You ever, you ever cling to something that, uh, that, that someone that you love who's out of town or gone on a long trip uh, left with you and you kind of hold on to that because they're gone and you miss them? It might be uh, you know, a love letter. It might be a blankie if you're a kid. Uh, I don't know. It might be something. But, but surely you've done that before. And there's some, there's some physical thing that you're touching while they're gone. When I was a youth pastor, I used to go on a ton of trips with kids and go all over the place and have a great time doing it. Getting married made it a little bit harder because I was now messing with my wife. But God blessed me with a ministry-minded wife that sacrificially said, no, you go. So I didn't have to go on a trip and worry that she was bummed out I was gone, this and that. When kids came along, it changed things a second time. All of a sudden, it was really hard to leave not only my wife, but my kids as well. And I still joyfully gave my life to serving kids. I love talking about with God. I love getting them away from the norm of, of routine and just getting prying into their life. But what I used to do is this. I used to have um, some pictures with me, and they'd become my bookmarks for whatever book I was reading or if I, I'd, I'd have it in my Bible sometimes. This is a picture of my, uh, of my son, who I think at the time uh, may have been around one years old or so. And, um, and I had this picture for the longest time in a book I was reading. And while I was away on a trip, I would often look at this picture and I would just pray for him. It would remind me to pray for him. And I would just, it would just be fun. It would be fun to have it. It was kind of like a tiny piece of, of, of him with me. Now let me just give you a bizarre scenario, okay? What if when I got home, what if when I got home from the trip, my wife meets me at the door and I give her a big kiss and... Curran runs over to me and goes, Daddy, what if I did this? What if I said, Oop, hold on a second. 
I'm having my quiet time. And I'm looking at the picture. And I'm holding on to the picture. And I say, I, I need my five-minute devotion time with this so I can feel close to my son. So you're going to just need to wait right now. And so I do this for five minutes. And then I put it in. And I close the book back up. And I go about my day ignoring my son. Stupid, right? That doesn't make any sense at all. No one would do that. You see the point? Possible to have a five-minute devotion time, right? Keeping God at bay. Close it up. Okay, now I feel close to you, God. Now I can go through my day and go through my things. Can't wait till tomorrow morning to have my five-minute quiet time with you again. All the while, it says God is an ever-present help in time of need. All the while, Jesus has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And so we can, we can do what the, the Pharisees of old did, and that is to miss the life in favor of the letter. God's Word is... Let me just point a couple of things out to you from Psalm 119, and then we're going to just enter into a season of worship through music and worship through giving. And I could point to a lot of things, but I want to point out three things that Psalm 119 talks about the, the Word of God being and in how God speaks to us. Look at verse 137. Back in Psalm 119 now. If you look at, at verse 137, it says this. It says, Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. Look at verse 160. The sum of your word is truth. Add it all up, it's truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Look at verse 172. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. The word of God is right. The word of God is true. The truthfulness of Scripture is secure and sure. It's the foundation on which to build your life. But it also reveals the one who is truth. So that's what Jesus was getting at is... Don't just get to know the Scriptures. As you get to know the Scriptures, here's what will happen. You will begin to get to know God in a way unlike any other thing produces. The second thing the Bible uh, talks about here in Psalm 119, and this is a common picture for it, is that the Word of God is light. Look at Psalm 119, verse 105. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, we're in a bright room right now. We have plenty of lights on. If right now one of you had a little keychain you know, flashlight or, a, or some kind of light that you popped on and shown it, it would be no real big deal, right? You would kind of see it and go, yeah, that's kind of neat. There's a certain sense that God's Word being light in a bright room, and a bright room might be church like we're gathered right here. A bright room might be when you're off at camp and two times a day you're just sitting down and dwelling on God and thinking on God. A bright bright place might be just circumstantially in your life right now. There's a certain way that when God's Word is a light unto your feet, it means something in a dark room. But then look look at the screen for a minute. What if it's an emergency? What if an emergency kicks on? All of a sudden, do you see how light becomes a totally different thing? All of a sudden, light becomes your absolute best friend. All of a sudden, you celebrate light. All of a sudden, a light unto my path becomes imperative for my survival. It got me thinking about this. If hearing from God is not essential to your life, let me pose an idea to you. 
I'm not saying this is true about you. I'm just posing an idea. If hearing from God is not essential to you, perhaps it's because you're not living by faith. Perhaps it's because you are in control. You are the supplier of your needs. You are the one that you look to and hope for. You are the one whose word matters most because you rule your domain. One of the unique things about the rich in this world, and that's what we are if we're sitting in this country, in this room right now, is that the rich in this world have an interesting temptation. We have the temptation, ongoing temptation, to forget how desperately needy we are of God in our life. Stuff blinds us. Stuff makes us believe false things. Stuff gets us thinking about things that don't matter past next week. So it's a weird kind of burden to bear. It's a weird kind of temptation to have. The life of a disciple of Jesus Christ is totally different. A disciple must hear from her Lord. A disciple longs to seek out communication through prayer and fellowship and reading and memorization and meditating on the Word. And a disciple rejoices when the teacher speaks, knowing that his or her very life depend on that Word. Look at the screen. Which, which room are you in right now? You might be in a room where, where the Word of God doesn't seem to matter a whole bunch. You might be in an emergency crisis right now where you go, I'm clearly on the right. I'm the one on the right. And God's Word is my lifeblood. Now, describing the Bible as being true and light are fairly common. We hear this in churches all the time. I've heard this ongoing for a regular part of my life. However, the last way that I'm going to point it out in Psalm 119, I haven't heard as much of. The last one is this, that God's Word is wooing us. That God's Word is a delight. And yet that's what Psalm 119 is talking about. Look at verse 103. 103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Verse 127, Therefore I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Verse 131, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Desire, longing, hunger, and delight. Are those missing in your life? Let me say this. Longing and desire and hunger and delight for God's Word grows as you obey it. It grows as you walk in it. If you do what James does and just become a reader of the Word, you can get really academically smart about the Bible. But you won't pant for it. You won't long for it. When you read the Scriptures, if you come to it and say, God, I'm going to submit my life before I read a single word to whatever's written here. I will go and do what, what, what you're telling me to do. As you obey it, as you become a doer of the Word, here's what it will do. It will drive you back to the Word some more. It will begin to create a thirst in you, a hunger in you to where you long for it. And when God's Word sees you through, and when and some of you know intimately what I'm talking about right now, that when God's Word comes through at just the last moment that you thought you could hang on, it becomes like a choice morsel of food. 
It fills your nostrils and your lung and your soul and it's so satisfying, literally, you will forget to eat. Literally, it will become such a delight to you that time will just kind of slip away. And you'll go, wow, I'm growing in my hunger and my desire and my longing as I obey it. Now, you will have seasons as a Christian of discipline and duty in terms of God's Word. But God's always wooing us away from that, isn't He? Just the same way that a married couple doesn't ever want to be there just out of discipline or just out of duty. It's not the way marriage is designed. God is inviting you to deep waters where trust is essential. Remember Peter? If it's you, Lord, so he calls him out. Think about this. When the storm's raging and Jesus calms the storm when he's asleep in the boat, you know who told him to go out? Jesus did. He knew the storm was there. They put out to sea. He knew what was coming. Johnny Erickson Tata might remain for the rest of her life in a wheelchair. That's a storm that that never blows over, potentially. And yet Jesus is in the hull of her boat, and it comes through in the way that she talks and writes. God speaks by sending followers out with little more than His presence. He tells a group of disciples to go do ministry. He says, don't even bring money bag with you. Just go. You've got me. You're worried about what you're going to say when you get there? I'm with you. I'll tell you what you need when you need it. Scary way to to, to do a a missions trip? Yeah. Adventurous? Yeah. Faith building? You bet. Unbelievably so. Who gets the glory at the end of a trip like that? God, who comes through every time. Sometimes with our meticulous planning and formulating it all, and all goes according to plan, who gets the glory? Maybe the one doing the planning. Right? And the one who, who mapped everything out perfectly. God's speaking also by calling the dead from the grave. Lazarus, come forth. And cold flesh got up and walked out of the grave. And God is speaking by hushing waves in His own time. Maybe He hasn't currently said, peace be still to your storm. But in His time, if He chooses, He will. And when He does... You'll do what the disciples did on the boat that day. You know what they did? They glorified Jesus as God. They worshipped Him. That moves you from discipline and duty to sheer delight to hear from God. A guy by the name of Rolf Engelbrecht has gone on to see Jesus, and he's in his presence right now. He was a missionary. And there was a day that I was over at Valley Church, the church that planted this church, and I walked into the copier room, and Rolf was there. And uh, he, he had a big stack of papers. He was doing some copies. I'm like, you, you look like you're going to be here a while. He goes, yeah, I am. I said, what are you doing? He goes, oh, um, I'm, I'm printing up the first Bible in this language of the, of the native people I've been working with for years. And this right here is the first copy of the printed Bible. And I about fell over. I said, wait a minute, right here on our copier, in these people's language, is the very first printed word of God for them? He goes, yeah. Awesome. I was just dumbfounded. I said, Rolf, that is the coolest thing ever. I'm so thrilled that I'm standing here talking to you right now. Rolf dedicated his life and his family's life to these people to get them the Word of God. You know why? Let me tell you what it wasn't. It wasn't because he was a fan of reading is cool and it was a program to get people literate and reading. It's because he knew that life and death were the stakes and he knew that 
unique to every other method. God has chosen the written word, his revealed word. And so he dedicated his life to learning the language, learning how to put it into print, write it down, and copy it on our copier and go and get it to them. And that's what he did. He went on and he completed that work, getting the word of God to that people group. And I don't know how many people, if it was five or 40,000 people that had a, a written copy of God's word now. But I thought to myself, man, I remember being at Rolf's memorial and just thinking, well, what else matters? I mean, what a way to invest your life. Awesome. He knew that God communicating with the people of that people group was life or death. How about us? Most of us have the Bible in our hands right now. Most of us have copies of it sitting around. Are we in possession of God's Word but missing His voice? Or are you living and breathing by every word of God as Jesus said when He was tempted on the mountain to make bread? Let me pray. Lord, we don't want to miss the most important thing which is relationship with You. Knowing You. Being one with You. And God, for those who are rigorous studiers and those who who love lists. Maybe you would woo them and call them away from a list for a week just to walk with you in the garden, to go out in the cool of the day and to meditate and ruminate and think on what they've, they've studied and filled their heads with and get a fresh sense of your presence, a fresh sense of your provision in their lives. God, I know for many in this room, they find precious little time in their day they carve out precious little time in their day to come and seek You out in Your Word. I pray that You would be heavy on the hearts of people who are finding themselves too busy to seek You out. Lord, just give them a, a morsel of who You are so that they would taste and see that You're good. God, even as we sing, we often sing the Scriptures back to You. We thank You for informing how and what we sing. We want to worship You just now as we've been doing in spirit and in truth. Not just getting the words right, but drawing in close to You. Would You reveal Yourself to us right now through song, through our joyful and cheerful giving of our tithes and offerings to further Your kingdom, to spread the Gospel. We lift up the team driving down right now that in all that goes on with them, You'd be glorified. You'd be worshipped. You'd be made much of down in Mexico. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.